In this podcast, the business case for wellbeing, the top seven reasons to have a wellness program, Emer Hemphy, managing partner at Think People, analyzes data linking productive workplaces with positive mental wellbeing and asks the obvious question, why aren't more of us running wellness programs? Emer Hemphy is an experienced HR and talent development professional. In her role as partner in Think People Consulting, Emer has worked with a range of local and global companies across industry sectors, developing strategy, managing complex HR projects, and delivering successful leadership development. Prior to setting up Think People Consulting, Emer worked as HR manager for AIB International Financial Services and as head of HR for a telecommunications company. This particular topic for the session today, I thought um, it would be a really exciting opportunity to kind of dig in maybe more deeply to some of the research. And then once I got into some of the research, I realized that uh, that could be a lifelong project and probably would be a great subject for somebody's PhD uh, thesis, because there's a huge amount of data out there um, to the extent that, you know, when myself and my colleague, Laura Bowden, who might be in the session today and deserves a mention, started to try and uncover the data and, and see if we could get patterns. You, you know, the reality was we just kept finding more and more and more. Um, so I've decided to short circuit um, some of that, you know, some of the data we've, we've um, isolated out and, and we'll, I'll refer to it, a lot of data as I go through the session, but I kind of decided to defer back to Scott's spoiler alert, which was, you know, the evidence was that yes, you know, having organization wellness and wellbeing programs does improve organization performance. And there's a huge amount of research out there that, that demonstrates that. So, you know, just to tap into even a small part of that, the, um, I kind of refer to some work that was done with PwC on behalf of Health Work Wellbeing Executive UK, where um, with a, a, but a huge amount of meta-analysis and therefore the reason I'm picking out this one and, and taking a lot of kind of white paper, um, academic research and gray paper, we're kind of able to say, you know, you know, absolutely that workplace wellness makes commercial sense and highlighted this range of different benefits from having internal wellness programs that support our employees' physical health. So, you know, all of the things that, that, that we had highlighted in the communication in advance of the session are repeatedly demonstrated to um, increase when we have good wellness programs. So performance goes up, turnover goes down, people's intention to leave reduces, attendance goes up, um, presentation goes down, it's good for employer brand, you know, the reputation follows us in terms of the kind of environments we provide to work in, and retention improves. Um, but also kind of in, in those more hard, tangible ways, the number of legal cases is evidence to reduce. Uh, so the evidence is there, paper and paper and paper and research and research um, over and over again demonstrates that. The challenge I suppose then to think about, you know, if we think about the regular scientific evaluation that has gone behind this, and the, the, I should point you to the um, Dr. Stephen Aldana's work that, that was highlighted the seven reasons to have a wellness program. If you go on and look at his work, he has done a huge amount of work in terms of bringing a lot of that data together. So the wealth of evidence is there. PwC have also said there's a wealth of evidence that links uh, wellness programs to improve business KPIs. So if we are talking about wellness, then I suppose we need to be really clear on the definitions today of what do we mean when we talk about wellness in our organizations? Because wellness and well-being aren't the same thing. So I thought it might be worth just setting that out in that we could differentiate in terms of what we're talking about. 
So wellness programs typically refer to programs that are about healthy lifestyle. Um, it's the aspect of physical health and all of those things that we might do in our organizations like step challenges, you know, healthy lunch options, advice on nutrition, private medical um, support, GP support, you know, annual annual uh, annual vaccinations for for your um, gosh, the, the word vaccination just now takes me to COVID for for flu and things like that. So very much focused on on health. But actually, you know, all of the conversations point to the fact that that is a narrow part of the overall well-being, overall well-being agenda. It probably is where we started um, and has increased and increased over the years. But well-being looks at a much broader picture of who we are and how we are as people. And it is that holistic perspective on our ability to live a well-lived life. Uh, and it looks at not only the physical well-being, but also our career well-being, our social well-being, our financial and our community. Um, and our mental well-being should clearly be referenced as part of that, is referenced as part of the, the physical element there. These aspects come from the World Health Organization's definition of what should be included in a well-being um, program. And it takes it from those five elements. Or sorry, this is Gallup's information. So Gallup look at well-being from career, social, financial, physical and mental and community. So I guess that shifts the conversation for me then to say, so how well are we doing as organizations? Um, in terms of the wider well-being and does it matter or should we be sticking to the wellness programs to get the benefits that we have demonstrated we get from the wellness um, from from well from wellness from physical wellness programs um, and the answer I guess is that you know there's data there to tell us what happens and to share a little bit of that with you as well is felt physical wellness enough I think the answer, as you have probably expected, is, is no, it's not enough. It's good. It, it definitely delivers benefits. There are correlations and, and research correlations between physical wellness and mental well-being. But actually, it goes beyond that to these other spectrums. So, you know, some work from Gallup tells us 68%, there's a 68% increase in absenteeism from work where people have reported themselves as being physically well thriving physically, but not across the other dimensions. They've also found that those people are more three times more likely to, to take a claim against their employer and two, five times more likely to be seeking other employment and ultimately two times more likely to actually change jobs. VHI found other information that said one in five people missed work in the past year due to stress, anxiety or depression. So actually, there's still a huge amount of absence that is correlating with people's mental ill health as opposed to purely the kind of physical measures that we have been looking at in those, those wellness programs in our step challenges. These aren't bad things. These are brilliant initiatives. We know that they are good for our organizations. I suppose the challenge now is to say, how do we go further and how well are we doing in the wider agenda? And if I look down, please forgive me, but I have lots of notes of, of data and, and different pieces of um information that I want to share with you. So wellness is a really important part of our wider well-being program, but it's not enough. We need to take a much more holistic look at how we um, support our colleagues, our teams, our employees, whatever whatever term you want to use, to thrive across the five areas of, of human well-being. So well-being is what we're going to focus on. And if we are doing that, what do we what do we mean when we talk about well-being? Excuse me for a second. Um, the most commonly used um, definition of well of, of well being 
comes from the World Health Organization. And it's up here in front of you, for, but for anybody who has their camera off and is kind of listening in the background, the World Health Organization describe a state of well-being in which every individual realizes his or her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. So, and our, def and our question for today was, what about the mental, the mental health element of the wider wellbeing initiative? The World Health Organization are taking a significant interest in that as part of our, our whole um, responsibility as an employer. And this definition is a, is a pretty good one to work to. So wellness is important. It's a very important part of the overall wellbeing agenda. Wellbeing looks at people as, as thriving, as a, a thriving and holistic um, set of conditions. And the mental health is part of that. The World Health Organization have told us this is what we are looking for in people with good mental health. So that then takes us, I suppose, to the next part of this question, which is why do we then need to focus on our mental well-being at work? Um, I think it is fair to say, and I would be surprised if anybody in the audience hasn't had the experience that we have all had in the last year of good days, bad days, ups and downs, you know, lower energy, a bit of fatigue some days, feeling a bit anxious, other times feeling better and more hopeful. And, and that experience has been common. For other people, this has been a very, very challenging year um, to the point of making people unwell. Um, so I think we've all had experiences across the spectrum that have drawn our attention to what matters from, from a mental health perspective. And that actually we all are potentially vulnerable to, you know, the challenges of, of life and, and what that can mean for our mental our mental health and how we feel um, holistically as people. One of the big things I suppose is that, you know, the data is there to tell us that there is a very, very strong business case for employers and organizations to take ownership um, for part of this, for solving part of this problem. And I'm gonna share the data, I'm gonna read some of it out again for those of you who may not have your camera on, but, very, very recent research gives us some, I suppose, pretty stark uh, information in terms of where we are as a nation um, in, in terms of our mental well-being. You know, 828,000 people um, were reported in the Labour Force Survey in the UK in 2019-20 for su suffering from stress, work-related stress, depression or anxiety. 51% of ill health cases are found uh, are coming from stress, depression, and anxiety, all coming from the Labour Force Survey. And they've also stated that about 17.9 million days, working days, are being lost as a result of stress and depression and anxiety. So those are pretty stark figures. 55% of all working days lost were down to stress, um, depression, and anxiety in that particular piece of research. CIPD in Ireland tells us that in 2020, that 57% of work-related um, absence was from stress and 46% due to other um, mental health conditions. So these are significant figures that I think are compelling for us in our organizations, even just from a commercial perspective, the impact that that has. 78% um, of Ireland's corporate employees um, have mental health issues, believe that mental health issues are a concern, and that's reported from BHI. One in five corporate employees feel extremely or very stressed. Um, so the figures are kind of just continue to up and up and up. And what is the cause? Can we put a number to it? Yes, we absolutely can. So Neve and, and the Action Mental Health in Northern Ireland have given different figures over the last from 2016 up to now. 
stating that anywhere between three and four billion is being lost from the the economy um or being is, is cost is the cost to the economy in northern ireland of mental per mental health in the uh, south of ireland 8.2 billion is the cost to the economy of mental health problems um minister harris uh, recently pointed out that um how many days i think 6.3 percent of um 6.3% of Irish people are struggling with some form of anxiety disorder. So these are socially bigger problems than our organisations, but inevitably they also affect them, and we see the numbers here. Um, the second highest cause of, of, of work-related absence has also been reported um, by the OECD in Ireland um, as, as, again, uh, just uh, is, is work-related um, per mental health. So... I guess if somebody's, if, you know, if the only thing we take away from this session today and, and we draw from this research that I say, Laura and I were, were knee deep in for quite some time, is that there is definitely a business case for taking responsibility for well-being initiatives and the well-being of our employees. There is a, a I suppose there is a moral responsibility. There is absolutely a health and safety responsibility. But beyond that, there is a very commercial, a very strong commercial reality that is playing out here in terms of why, you know, why as a business case, we can make uh, health and or the mental health and well-being of our colleagues a priority. So if we know then that, that these are problems that are affecting us as organizations, I suppose the next question for me is to look at, well, what are we doing about it? What are the, what are, what are the statistics around how many organizations are running programs, the quality of those programs and the impact of the programs? And I've just realized, sorry, that last slide was one behind. Uh, apologies, but you should have that in your pack. So we know where we are, what, what's happening, what's being done about it. And actually, there's some good news here. I know the last slide is not one that makes pretty reading and is not one that is, is necessarily hopeful. But actually, having the evidence helps us then to make better decisions about what we do moving forward. So prevalence of programs is going up. And you can see the data here in a, a survey by uh, Aon, a global, global well-being survey in 2021, so very recent information, we can see that the prevalence of programs is, is absolutely increasing. 82% of companies in that report said that uh, employee well-being was important and it was on the agenda. 87% have at least one initiative in place. 55% reported having a strategy, so a more integrated approach to well-being in their organisations. And 24 said it was a fully integrated approach right through their business and talent strategy in the organization. So that's a global, a bit of a global perspective. In the UK, 44% of employers have a well-being strategy, still under the halfway mark. So it's not brilliant, but it's improving. And one, but, but one in five still don't intend to introduce anything around well-being in the next 18 months. Not, so notwithstanding the impacts the awareness that has been raised and I suppose the focus that, you know, of well-being as a business critical issue in the last year, a large number of organisations still don't have this in, in their um, in their horizon or on their horizon in terms of investing time and energy and money. Ireland is doing relatively well. And this is, I guess it's all relative, but, you know, we are one of the top three countries um, for having a well-being initiative, um, but not top three in terms of having a strategy. So a little bit of information in addition to that, Port Portugal is actually the best. 26% of companies in Portugal have a fully integrated well-being strategy that's, that's built in and linked into their business and talent strategies. 
Ireland is actually pretty good at 24%. Um, UK is not doing too bad either um, at 25%. So we are improving, we are getting better, but there is still more work to do, okay? Um, there's also been an improvement in terms of, oh, where have we gone? Apologies. Trigger happy this morning. There's also been an improvement in terms of how um, senior leadership see uh, see the importance of well-being. So CIPD in 2020 survey have reported that um, senior leaders, the, the amount of senior leaders that have well-being, I guess, on their horizon in terms of being important for the future has gone up from 61% in 2019 to 75%. A smaller increase in the number of line managers, however, 58% believed it was important in the previous year, 67% in 2020. Um, however, you know, only 9% of organizations in a study from personnel today, even of those who are, who are carrying out the, the initiatives and implementing these strategies are measuring them. So we don't, we're still not great in our organizations saying, right, what, what are we getting from these? Are they delivering the benefits? Is it giving employees what they need? Okay. So we're making an identification of, of strategies that we should implement, but we're not working out of it's still delivering for, for employees and their individual needs as well as their collective needs. So what else? In terms of the implementation piece, I guess, you know, what does that mean overall? I think we can say that wellness awareness and initiatives and strategies are rising. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. We know that that is happening and that is wonderful. Um, but there is still work to do. Um, there's still quite a bit of work to do. Over the pandemic, um, there has been a significant increase in attention on mental well-being. 76% um, of companies reported an increase in their focus of um, looking at mental health and resilience and emotional support but actually very few of them were focusing on the other pillars, so the physical, social, financial, and career elements. Um, the other issue, I guess, that we have in that the awareness is increasing, the stats are there, the number of programs are increasing, whether strategies or individual initiatives, and that's, that's all to be applauded and it's all positive, is that we, we still have a better way to go. You know, approximately 50% of organizations aren't implementing strategies. Quality is variable and Uptake is actually much lower than you might think. So there's some global research that, that suggests that uptake is as low as 5 to 8%. Um, during kind of the, the depths, I guess, of, of the COVID experience that we've had and, and the pandemic and lockdown, in association with Legal Island, we, we sent out a survey around what organisations were doing to support their colleagues. And one of the concerns organisations reported in that was that they were putting out these well-being initiatives, but actually they were finding it hard to get people to engage with them. Um, and also then there is this issue of per measurement. So we aren't always measuring the effectiveness. We aren't measuring the effectiveness, as I said, collectively or, and, and importantly, in terms of the individual needs. And there are reasons for that. And there is research around the reasons for that. Um, kind of collective results suggest that the reason for per uptake is there is insufficient incentives, that sometimes locations for things don't work, people have time limitations, reporting being very busy and not having the opportunity, people just reporting they aren't, aren't interested in the particular topics. Um, sometimes it's purely the scheduling, sometimes it's that, you know, a, a big reason and one of the kind of triggers is poor communication, the initiatives are in place but they're not being driven through, an email is sent out and that's it. 
Um, they're not being integrated through all of communication channels of organizations and they aren't being reinforced and encouraged through further by, by managers. So, you know, we know the reasons why that is also useful, uh, but again, then we need to start to look at, well, what do we use that information to do? So, the picture is in some ways um, good, but also there, there's a long way to go, okay? But for me, that always means there's opportunity. We have opportunity to do more with this. Um, we know it will present a benefit for our organizations. The statistics tell us that. Um, and it's a huge, you know, it's a huge economic and social problem on top of that. So increasing supports will be coming from a governmental perspective. And there's an awful lot of work being done in governments, both north and south, in terms of what needs to be invested to help organizations with, with employee well-being and to manage those kind of wider economic impacts. But what have we learned then in, in the research that we have looked through in terms of what we can do to improve what we do? I guess, you know, a lot of us are well intended and we are delivering programs and we are doing our best to try and, um, I suppose, acknowledge some of the impact, particularly over the last year of, of what has happened for people. But a lot of it is initiative based and a lot of it is not individualistic. So there's a bit of a one size fits all. And what does that mean for what we need to do in terms of moving forward? I guess the loud and clear message from research, from the World Health Organization, um, is it needs to be an integrated and holistic approach. We can't just take one initiative and think that that is going to fix this wider problem, that that is gonna turn the tide on some of these bigger stats around absence, around um, performance, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to take an integrated approach Looking at wellness, the physical element is absolutely important. It's an important part of the overall well-being strategy. But we also know now that the critical pillars of a full and you know a full well-being strategy include mental health, physical health, financial health, social, and finally people's careers. Okay. So do we build that in? Do we take a completely strategic approach? And do we make sure that we are looking at all of those pillars when we plan for what that looks like? Um, if not, then that's an opportunity for us to step back and think, right, how do we build a strategic and integrated approach to this the way we do with any other cultural strategy? Um, that is a challenge in terms of time, of commitment, and in terms of engagement. So a lot of the statistics here for me help with number three. How do we involve our stakeholders, our colleagues, and the representatives to make sure that we are doing the right thing? And how do we involve our leadership to make sure that we have buy-in? Leadership buy-in, as we know, 76% of leaders have said this is on the agenda. Only 9% of globally um, surveyed organizations actually have put aside budget for this. So our leadership care, but are they compelled enough to really commit the time, energy and money that we need to deliver proper strategic um, integration with our organizations? So what do we need to do? We need to convince them, and that's what the data will help with. And we need to get them there as role models. We, they need to be visible. They need to be um, spearheading a lot of these strategies. But we also need to talk to people that the strategies were for. Like any other change program, like any other culture integration program, we need to bring our colleagues and their representatives into the process. My recommendations, for example, around that might be that you set up a, a wellbeing committee, that you start off with, you know, what are the objectives of this and why are we doing it? And then they work with you as ambassadors, as sponsors, as a, sound, uh, a sounding board for the wider employee population. And they help you to build up a program that meets the actual needs of your colleagues and your different colleagues. Uh, there is research there again that tells us that 
white women and under the age of 34 are more likely to get involved in wellness programs. So do we need different communication strategies? Do we need different interventions for people in groups outside of that? And that is a question that is best answered by our colleagues. And, and a way to help that, and as we would with any other strategy, is how do we assess? So what system do we use for saying where are we today? Where do we want to be? And then it allows us to tell them, tell our colleagues where we're going to go, but also measure our trajectory against that. So listening to what people need, surveying where people are, surveying the changes allows a continue value, continuing evaluation and review. And, you know, I suppose for me, another big part of that and with any program we run out is our managers. Although our leaders were saying 76% believe that well-being is important, although not backed up with commitment from budget, actually managers in Ireland, um, as an example, had only moved from 58% thinking that well-being was an important part of an organisation strategy and their role to um, slightly above 60%. So managers are the critical mass. Managers work with our colleagues day in, day out. They are the people that can communicate the strategy strategies that can encourage participation that can build the skills and and the the learning to think to listen for you know signs of change for signs of stress for signs of poor well-being that can have the career conversations that are a critical part of this that can create sort of community within their teams but those are skills those aren't things that, that just come naturally to us all so managers really need the support to be able to integrate all of these policies and initiatives that we build as part of that well-being um, strategy. So this is a, a seven-point plan. It reflects certainly some of the elements of the World Health Organization recommendation about how you integrate a strategy. And I shared that slide and in the information that has gone out to you. Um, but I suppose overall, the picture is positive, And I, I do think it, that there is a lot to be optimistic about, but I think we also have a huge amount of work to do. There is a lot, there is a, there's a, I suppose, a launch pad here now based on what has happened over COVID and that our leadership is listening. The, the importance and value of well-being has never come to the fore to the same extent. And there's a critical opportunity now for people leaders, people and culture leaders to say, now, now is our time. Now is our time to build real integrated well-being strategies that deliver for our businesses and organizations commercially, but also deliver for our people and deliver from a human perspective in terms of the kind of organisations that we want to be. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out Legal Island's range of mental health and wellbeing e-learning training courses for all your employees. Providing all employees with mental health and wellbeing training during employment or shortly after starting their employment, and with regular refreshers updates throughout this time, can not only provide a productive but a safe workplace for everyone. Visit www.legal-island.ie forward slash wellbeing for more information or you can find the link in the description below.